Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Chris here. Speaking of dumb shit, yours truly did something incredibly moronic and said some stuff on this episode that came from a place of poor judgment, so it had to be edited for content. I apologize, Dopey Nation, for the truncated version, but we'll jump right into Myron's story of the cult that he was in for two decades and read a pretty cool email from a fan. Anyway, let's get... Okay, we have have a guest. We have a guest. Uh, This is a former... They're switching paces here. A former supervisor of mine uh, when I worked at the yoga retreat center, which is good because Dave can quiz him about my work ethic. And uh, he is a really cool guy. Uh, He's very smart. He's deliberate in how he speaks. Great sense of humor. Um, Just call him. And I want to set it up, man. He's going to listen to this, and I want him to hear how much I respect him. Hey, Myron. Um, all right, so we'll give him a call right now. Anyways, the reason we're calling him is he uh, he was in a cult uh, for like 20 years or something, but let's get him on the horn. And, so what is our um, show called? Culty now? Culty. Well, I mean, there's going to be a drug tie-in a little bit. But anyways, nobody would talk to him about it at Kripalu, and I was like, this is, I'd, I'd ask him all about it, and it was fascinating to listen to. But how did you even know that it had happened? Because people told me. They were like, Myron was in a cult, and I was like, well, what do you know about it? And have you asked him? He was very public with it. No, you had to. He, if you asked him, but he wasn't public about it. Now he's going to be public. <laughs> All right, it's ringing. Let me move this over a little bit. Let's turn that down a little. Myron, what's going on, dude? Your call. Nice. I think the connection's bad. Very much. Um, how's your connection over there? Um, okay, but why it might not coming in that well? No, let me. Um, let me. He has to take off his fancy case because it's got you all muffled. How you doing, Myron? Okay. Hi there. <laughs> That's Dave, Hi. Myron. Hi, Dave. Hi, Myron. Uh, Chris is taking his incredibly elaborate case off of his phone because it got you all muffled. And, and okay. you, you were the manager at Kripalo? No, I was the uh, dining room supervisor. So you were Chris's supervisor? I was the what? You were Chris's supervisor. I was. How was he? Uh, he was... Uh you just shut him off. You're an idiot. <laughs> the connection's horrible, by the way. Is it? Yeah. Did I, just, I think I just shut my phone down. <laughs> <laughs> You're so stupid. Oh, well, uh, my phone takes like four minutes to start up, too. Do you know his number by heart? No. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> you got anything else to talk about? I got it on Facebook. Here, let's call him from your phone, all right? Oh, now it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Let me turn the Wi-Fi on. Why don't you pause the show? Yeah, let's pause it for a second. All right, it's ringing again. It did sound bad. Hello. Hey, sorry. I went to fix fix my phone and I uh, I actually shut it off. Okay. So, Dave. How, how am I sounding? Is this a little better? Yeah, it's good. It's good now. We're good to go. Okay, you're, you're, you're sounding pretty good now too. All right. So Dave was asking you about my work ethic at Kripalu. 
Yeah, well, um, there's not really much to uh, speak about there. <laughs> Hopefully, you've made some improvements since then. I um, Chris always said that he was good at pouring water. Is this true? He was a great water pourer. Well, well, I, even that needed some work. <laughs> right. You know, he, I, I I had to constantly be on him for that, but. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, hopefully since then he's had a little bit more practice. Yeah, he's really actually, he's pouring water at a 10th grade level now, I think. It's really, it's really <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> well, that, that is surprising because uh, he was pretty kindergarten when he was at Kripala. <laughs> Um, so Myron, we wanted to give you a call. I don't know if you've, um, have you listened to the podcast at all ever? I did. I, I listened to one of them. I listened to the, uh, Noah Levine podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that was originated in Kripala. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to give you a call cause Dave had his friend call in last week who was a conspiracy theorist and it was pretty cool. And, um, I was just telling Dave, uh, before we started that, you know, your history, um, you know, kind of like during the, you know, the, the counterculture movement and then, um, ending up being in the, the cult with brother Julius. I just thought it would be really cool if you'd be willing to talk about it a little bit, basically like, you know, how you got into the cult what it was like and stuff and, and, he, and we can ask you questions you know we'll, we'll pull stuff Trevor, out of you who's yeah. brother Julius um, Dave just said who is brother Julius brother Julius was a man who I met in 1971 who came to a nearby town uh, to where I was living at the time in Torrington Connecticut and he was making a lot of headlines in the newspaper. And also a uh, close friend of mine, who was at that time, many of us were all into seeking enlightenment and seeking, you know, spiritual teachers and, and uh, finding a pathway to God and finding some meaning to life. And so this particular person um, told, it, uh, told me and my sister about him one weekend when I came home from school. And uh, it just really piqued a lot of curiosity because I had, for the previous year or two, been experimenting with LSD and other hallucinogenic drugs and talking to some people who were uh, telling me a lot of things about meditation and spirituality, and it really hit a chord with me. And um, at the, I was thinking, at the more and more I thought about it, the more it, it, uh, it, it just kind of snowballed, and it became a real intense focus in my life. And so what I was thinking, I was going to school, I was going to the Culinary Institute of America at the time, and my mind really wasn't there. It was more on what I just told you about. And so I had been thinking about, uh, wouldn't it be great to travel to India and find a real guru, somebody that could definitely give me experience and show me how to get the pain of enlightenment? Was Brother Julius from... Myron, was Brother Julius from India? 
No, no, he was not. However, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was uh, he was some, he was actually from Brooklyn. Ah. He was in at the time. Um, he's a very, very charismatic guy. Uh, what was the first? What was the first thing you thought? Like when you your first interaction with him, what do you remember? And what do you remember feeling and thinking? Um, well, I had gone there with the intention of I was really into reincarnation at the time, and at school uh, I, I had I had a lot of Christian friends and uh, a couple of them fundamentalists. And they were like really reaming me for believing in reincarnation. Myron, and I thought, Myron, are yeah. you Jewish? Uh, I'm Jewish, and Brother Julius is Jewish. You sound very Jewish uh, on the phone, but I'm Jewish too. I so I, I just know I can just okay. tell. I can just tell from the okay. phone. <laughs> okay. Gosh. I'm just playing. Um, you can tell Dave is Jewish from his nose. You can't <laughs> you see can't, him. You can't, you can't see, see him right through, now. You can't see my nose through the phone. Um, okay, keep going though. Continue. Okay, so um, I went to. Yeah, I had heard a little bit about him that he was preaching, talking from the Bible. So I decided that I was going to go to this meeting, which was in uh, somebody's home, and I was going to more or less uh, set him straight on reincarnation. Um, you know, because I was so certain that it was something that was real. So. Anyways, we walked into the room, there was a group of people there, everybody was smiling, everybody was, there was just, it felt like there was a real energy in the room, and it was palpable, and I could feel it, I I felt instantly relaxed, instantly accepted, Um, everybody was happy, they were singing, and Brother Julius was there sitting in a chair with a tambourine in his hand. What were they singing? Kind of. What were they singing? Uh, a, a Christian, Christian hymns, okay. you know, kind of upbeat types of uh, uh, Christian hymns. I, I don't remember exactly what. Right on. But anyway, so that ended, and then he started talking about uh, who he was, started talking about it being the end of the world, uh, that this is a special time, and that he was God's messenger being sent into the world at this time to help bring the world to an end. Hmm. Um, so when he said he was God's messenger, was he implying basically that he was the second coming of Jesus or some sort of Messiah? That didn't, that didn't happen until about a week and a half or two weeks later. Uh, and, and at that point, he was just saying that he was, he was a God's special prophet. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> Special Prophet Julius. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, nothing. I said I said Special Prophet Julius, trying to make a special yeah. agent joke, but it wasn't good. So please continue. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, so uh, he he gets through with his uh, sermon or his talk, and he has a question and answer. Period. And so I asked him uh, an opportunity for me to ask him a question. Came. And I asked him what he, you know, what he thought about reincarnation. And his answer was that he didn't believe in it, but that he believed in karma, or you reap what you sow. And he more or less put it in the framework of everything is experienced in this lifetime. You only live, you only have one life, 
and you do good, you receive good in this lifetime, or you receive it after uh, this lifetime is over. But it wasn't so much the answer that he gave, was it was more the connection. He seemed to really focus completely on me and the tone and the energy that I was feeling from him, I thought was very kind, very accepting, and mm. very loving, and it, uh, it, it, it affected me. Hmm. And um, So you know, was it I, like, I, he, he, was it sort of like uh, what you were searching for kind of with the LSD during that period, he sort of filled that, that role a little bit, or...? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I w- had wanted to have, you know, my thinking was with the LSD is I was using it because I wanted to have a real spiritual experience that would prove to me, to my mind, that there is a God or there is something beyond these, this physical body that, um, you know, that, that is real. And I had had those experiences on LSD uh, to where I, it, it was so real to me during those experiences that uh, it was life-changing. Hmm. But I also knew that I can't depend on drugs and psychedelics to bring me to a permanent state of a light enlightenment. So... Hence, the search for a teacher. Right, and this is a classic, it's, it, it's really a classic uh, story, because it's like, that's what happened to a lot of my favorite uh, 60s rockers, like Pete Townsend or John Lennon, they, they were all, or Pete Townsend more than John Lennon, because John Lennon kept doing drugs, but Pete Townsend stopped doing drugs when he fell under the Meher Baba. <laughs> Do you know oh, what? that's right, I remember that, I remember that, yeah. that was... Uh, yeah. So, so it's a, it's a pretty straight up, it's a pretty classic story. But when did it turn uh, uglily cultish? Well, I, uh, I mean, it was cultish right from the beginning. But because of the times where everybody was, everybody was kind of you know, with a hippie. Everybody had their hair long. Everybody was doing things that were counterculture or different. But over time. Um, you know, it was great the first couple of years. Everybody was happy. Julius was very encouraging and fatherly to me. And um, then about three or four years into it, uh, he seemed to, although he had done some of that prior to that, he started yelling at us at the meetings, started telling us, you know, we didn't love God. None of us were living up to you know, what God wants out of us. And then he seemed to have a particular fascination with me because I'm kind of introverted and I'm kind of, you know, tend to be a little uh, timid at times and easily intimidated. And something inside of him kind of got off on that. I guess I I was, my personality was kind of a drug to him Hmm. in the sense that he got high off of uh, belittling and intimidating uh, and sometimes terrifying uh, people that were following him. Oh man! So what happened then? Like, what what did your life look like with him in the cult during those years after, like he started singling you out? 
Well, you know, it, it, the, the seeds were already planted, and I, I thought that early on that I had such a revelation and realization that he truly was Jesus Christ come back uh, again to earth, that anything inside of me that would begin to doubt that, uh, you know, I would immediately, I developed a, a thinking process, uh, as did many of us, that any kind of doubts that came up, any kind of thoughts or questions, immediately I put them out of my mind. I stopped, I stopped the thought. Um, and there were all sorts of techniques that he taught us, like cast, casting out spirits was a big part of his teaching, that every thought and feeling and negative emotion or positive emotion was caused by a spirit. Huh. And so... It sounds like uh, uh, Scientology with the Thetans. Uh, maybe. I, I wish I knew a little bit more <laughs> about Scientology. Myron, it, Myron, where did you guys live? We uh, each had... Uh, you know, most of us rented apartments with other followers. Um, Did they tell you who you could, like, uh, be with romantically or anything? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, four years, uh, or actually it was about three and a half years into it, which simultaneously corresponds with uh, a lot of the uh, downhill, downhill after that. And this doesn't reflect upon uh, my, my then wife or my wife to be. <laughs> but we had uh, we went to a meeting, and you know we were all in our early twenties, late teens, early twenties. The hormones were raging, a lot of love in the air, and uh, many many people were you know were meeting what they believed to be their spiritual mates, or being introduced by Julius, or told by Julius to to marry certain people. And they did. And then one day, one day, I went to a meeting, and Julius had, there was about 300, 350 of us there at the meeting at that time. And Julius, at the beginning of the meeting, announced, asked, is there anybody here that wants to get married? So maybe about 70, 75 of us stood up, maybe 50% women, 50% men. And we were in a, uh, we, we had our meetings in a, a, a Masonic hall. So it was this large hall with a stage, and he had the women line up on one side of the room, and the men line up on the other side of the room. And we, the ghost stuff going on, we, we spoke in tongues, our bodies, you know, we would shake our bodies, we would go out in the spirit, you know, it was all, all sorts of stuff like that going on. So, uh, Julius uh, says to the women, let, let the Holy Ghost move you to who God shows you is your spiritual mate. So, lo and behold, the very first woman to uh, start moving was uh, to be my wife. She came to me first before anybody else had uh, gone to anybody else. 
Oh wow. <laughs> were you happy with were you happy with God's choice for you? Well, I won't say I was I there, there wasn't even any room for happiness or unhappiness. It was all you know, I was so programmed at that time. My only happiness or sense of happiness was doing whatever Brother Julius wanted me to do. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, you know, I was so, at, at that point, so, my emotions were so screwed up. I didn't even know what I felt or what I didn't feel or what I thought or what I didn't think. You know, I was so intimidated by him. So she came over, and uh, his brother Jesus goes to me, and Myron, uh, this is, it is my perfect will that you get married to Rose. So... Um, yeah, you know, immediately my response is yes, yes, Lord. Um, so, so then, um. uh, he, 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 you know, then it just went on from there and about, you know, 30 or 40 other couples got married at that meeting. Jeez, that's fucking, uh, that's crazy, man. That's a, that's wild. Um, yeah. wait, what? So, <laughs> I'm so, I don't mean to, to rush you along, but I have to ask yep. you, I got what, how did you get out? What happened at the end? Well, it was a gradual thing. Um, you know, I gradually, um, you know, the, the, as the meetings went on, I found myself getting really bored with them, found myself getting upset with uh, the way the meetings were going, uh, being picked on all these years, and I was I was finally starting to get a little bit more uh, self confidence and um, self reassurance, and do I started to read and uh, read other books. I started practicing meditation, and I began to notice that after I started practicing meditation, that I was getting more from the five or ten or fifteen minutes of meditation that I would practice each day than I was getting from anything that he was saying, uh, saying at the meetings. And so that process, whole process continued. And then you know, you know, things were going on, rumors were starting to fly uh, about uh, sexual things that were going on there. What, and Brother Julius sleeping with Was people? Brother Julius having sex with Mia Farrow's sister? Sister, <laughs> that's that's a, that's the, the Maharishi thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but not with her. But I'll tell you, with uh, with Mia Farrow herself. <laughs> herself? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, it was always um, it always um, intrigued me that the women he took uh, he had like multiple wives. Nice. And for, and just coincidentally, the wives that he would pick were always the most beautiful women in the group. Hmm. Did he have and multiple so, children through those wives? No, he had uh, he had a vasectomy, and that was another thing he told us. He told us all to get vasectomies hmm. at uh, when we first met him. Some of us did, some of us didn't, because. And that was because we all thought the world was coming to an end. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was something um, uh, similar with Jehovah's Witnesses at one period, I think in the late 60s, where they, they urged their congregation to not uh, reproduce. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, so um, we gotta. I'm sorry, we gotta wrap it up in a second, Myron. But what? So what was okay. the the very very end? What happened with Brother Julius? That uh, like what was the final interaction you had with him? And then on that note, uh, if people, I just want to. I'm just wondering if people Google his name. Is there anything online that they can read about him? Oh yeah, yeah. There's if you just Google uh, Brother Julius or go to uh, YouTube. There's an investigative, there's a, there's a pretty good, it's about an hour long, maybe even longer news documentary um, that is posted on YouTube. And if you want to know about him and what he's like and what some of, some, some of the other's ex-followers experienced, uh, that video should pretty much cover it. Okay. And then there's, you know, there's massive other uh, stuff you'll find by googling his name as well all right so what so what was the final interact we got to get off but what was the final interaction sure, sure. you had with him sure the final uh, interaction was that he called uh, periodically he would call uh, he would go on a rampage and he would kick people out of the meetings and he would often do this by either at a meeting or calling us up directly on the phone so he called me up one day and this was when I was really starting to get disturbed with things. And he told me that I was being kicked out of meetings, that he was rejecting me, and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. And at that point, I had just really had it with him. In the past, I would kind of fight to get back in there. But this time, any fight to remain in there was totally gone. So, you know, I... You know, he, he tried a few manipulative things. He didn't get anywhere. And phone conversation ended. Uh, I felt a relief. And then I called up my wife, um, told her what I had decided. And she, she was in, on the same page with me. And we also had three kids. And um, so we all, except for my oldest daughter, uh, left at huh. that point. Huh. Was, and that was that. Was, yeah. Hmm. My whole 20, 21 years there, Ugh. from the time I was 19 to the time I was 40 years old. I remember when I met you, you voiced the concern that you had kind of given Brother Julius your prime years um, and you would have probably built a different career during that period. Oh, that was very true. I feel very the same true. way about heroin. Yeah, yeah, we're we're on the same page with heroin, uh, Myron. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I know there's so so many parallels. Yeah, it's so funny. Religious- religious addiction and, and drug addiction. It's just amazing how we all, we, we want that real experience and then when you, you get it, it's not like you don't get it, but it's just not what you signed up for yeah. is the thing. Yeah, really. You know? Really. Um, but thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. it was, yeah, you're you're really welcome. It's uh, my pleasure. Sorry, it was uh, so quick. I didn't mean to rush you along, Myron. Chris had to tell this story sure. before you called in about uh, okay. when uh, we'll let him listen to it. It'll be a treat. <laughs> I tell a story before we uh, we give you a call. All right, so you, you oh, can okay. hear it when it okay. comes out. <laughs> but uh, thank you so uh, much. You're you're welcome. So. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'll be hearing back from you with uh, with the podcast be, be, before it airs. Or yeah, yeah, it'll be. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll 
I'll get in touch, uh, Myron, and it'll okay. be it'll be up in a few weeks. And we give our email and stuff. And so if anybody okay. emails us and wants to ask you a question, I'll forward it along to you, and you can respond directly okay. to them or through me. Sure, sure. All righty. Okay. Very good. Okay, Myron. Oh, okay, take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye. All right. Um, Do you got an email or something? Or we got to hurry? No, we got to. We got to. We got to. We got to make this phone this, call. What about this structure you're talking about? Well, I think we're going to have to sacrifice structure today. Lori, Lori, Lori Dew just responded. What's she right? She said we're trying to. Hey, Dopey Nation, we're trying to get Lori Dew on the horn. Um, who is my ex boss's girlfriend? Who is a famous news anchor who supposedly met George Bush while she was drunk. Uh, you know, I met John McCain while I was high. Did I ever tell you that story? Did you? Yeah. Anyway, continue. Yeah, but you were just high all the time, so everybody you met. Yeah, but it was John McCain. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. Uh, I don't know why I set that all up. She said she's at a Vanderbilt Old Miss game, and she won't be able to uh, call in right now. All right, I'm going to read something really fast. All right? Yeah. Um, all right, what the fuck? What am I going to read? I'm going to go back and back and back. Back and back and back. Back and back. Okay, here. What are you doing, an email? Yeah. This is this is not back enough, but I'm just going to read what, it. Is it a good it one? Make sure you read a good one. Um, like a good story. Yeah. Okay, it's really long. Should I read it? You want me to read it? No, you sound like a robot when you read. Um, here. Hey, guys. First time writing, but have been a listener since August. I finally got through all 52 episodes as of yesterday, so decided to shoot you a message. Let me start by saying, yes, I did write you a review. It should be under the nickname Philip SMI. I don't think it did. I don't see it posted yet, but figure that you or iTunes has to approve it before it gets put up with the rest. A little about me. I'm a 31-year-old university student living in the Pacific Northwest. I'm a senior working towards my BS in behavioral neuroscience. I decided to pursue this degree because of my interest in psychoactive drugs. I'm not a heavy drug user, but I have tried everything I could get my hands on. This has resulted in many memories, some good, some sad, but all in the end worth it. I wish I could say that. It's my interest in all things drugs that led me to your podcast. I just wanted to say that what you've created is absolutely awesome. It's hilarious and at the same time insightful. I really like how you guys paint both sides of the drug use slash recovery picture. Not only do you show that heavy substance use can result in some very serious experiences, you also show that even after shit hits rock bottom, life goes on and can even get better than it was before. This is an insight that even the non-afflicted, like myself, can relate to, at least on some level. This creates a pretty well-rounded picture of life surrounding drug use. I've often wished that you guys would include one or two stories about the sad parts of drug use. Which we did. There we go. Well, we, that was the sad part of the recovery. The sad part of sobriety. <laughs> but the fact is that all of your stories, even though they're extremely funny, have undertones of the sadness and dark consequences of using. This was especially present in Chris's story that involved stealing jewelry from his mother. I just think that the occasional sad story would make for an even more insightful experience. I think he's right. Mm. I'm definitely not complaining, though. Those stories might be something you guys would rather keep to yourselves. Just food, like my wart story. (laughs) Just food for thought. I do have one outright request. Stop trying to make the podcast more structured. It's ruining the show, as Dave would say. The reason the Dopey Nation likes your podcast is because it is the way that it is. Free-flowing, organic, and true. Please, for the love of all good things and holy... 
Do not make the fucking podcast podcast regimented. Let the podcast freak flag fly. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Anyways, I just wanted to give you guys a quick shout out and tell you you've made a fan out of me. I've never written any sort of fan letter, so this is pretty significant. Way to make an impression. I'll leave you with a drug story of my own. Okay? I'm ready. <clears throat> you can read this on the air if you'd like and use my name. Thanks again for bringing us this awesome podcast. Philip. This story is about a memorable mushroom trip. I was 19 and had just moved to Seattle. I was living in a big house with my oh, girlfriend at the good. time. Is this with his brother or something? Yeah. I like this And one. a handful of roommates. I had invited my little brother and two of his friends over for the weekend. I figured they would dig a few days in the big city. I had bought a brunch of mushrooms and intended to give them their first mushroom trip. Well, when the special evening came, I divided the lot up and we each ate our share. I had done mushrooms a few times, so thinking I knew what I was doing, I gave everyone, including myself, a pretty healthy dose. Well, as it turned out, I didn't know what I was doing. I was the typical idiot trying to impress his little brother and friends by tripping on more than they probably could should consume by such an experienced psychedelic user. All I remember is that as I was coming up, I could smell the mushrooms coming out of my skin. I could also smell urine, and it felt like I had pissed on myself. I went to the bathroom repeatedly to see if I actually had, but each check came up dry. Toward, I've done that. Me too. Towards the peak, one of, actually, I always pissed on myself when I thought I did. Towards the peak, one of my little brother's friends, Tom, or call him Tom, started seizing up. He was sitting on the couch and all of a sudden started shaking and arching his back as if he were trying to extend his belly to the ceiling. He had gone all pasty and yellow. Sorry. He had gone all pasty and yellow. Fuck. Oh, uh, and it was fucking freaky. My little brother's other friend, call him Brad, started freaking out, yelling for me to do something. He started actually hitting Tom on the chest as if it were a hammer <laughs> trying to pound a nail down into place. Wait, so this dude's back is all arched up yeah. and he's trying to push it back down. Yeah. yeah. I, feeling like I was supposed to be the responsible adult who knew what to do, which at the moment I should have been, rushed over and got Brad away from Tom. I sat next to Tom and asked if he was okay. As he was still seizing up, he turned his pale, wide-eyed face to me. He looked fucking scary. For a second, I thought he was going to hit me. This thought passed, though, as at about the same time, Brad yelled, I can't take it anymore, and ran into the bedroom. I looked back at Tom, and thankfully he was coming back to normal. I asked what had happened, and he said nothing. He said that he was totally fine. I couldn't believe it. He didn't know what had just happened. I went into the bedroom to find Brad. The 16-year-old kid was actually <laughs> hiding under the blanket, scared shitless. I managed to talk him from out, from out from under there, and once everyone could see that everyone else was still alive, the rest of the night went on with lots of laughing and recounting of the Tom seizing up tale. <laughs> Towards the end, as I thought I was coming down, I decided to go back to sleep, go to bed and try to sleep. As I was laying there in my dark room, I had a vision of me in a starlit, rainy forest. I was huddled up at the base of a tree, completely naked. As I sat there, I realized that I viewed myself differently than how others viewed me. I thought myself <laughs> a very cool dude. Meanwhile, others saw me as a skinny, awkward kid. I also started thinking about the first word spoken by either me or by the entire human race. Race. I'm not really sure which. I lean more towards it 
being my first word, though. I still remember. It was ganji. <laughs> yeah, I was still, still pretty high. I don't know... I didn't know it at the time, but this is my first real psychedelic vision Then went further than just the bright breathing walls sort of trip. Being unnerved by the forest vision, I went back into the living room where they were all watching Drop Dead Fred. I spent the rest of the evening watching that weird-ass movie and slowly coming down. That was a great email. I've got one word for you. We hit some dopey right there. Ganji. Ganji. Anyway. That was good. Have you ever had any psychedelic visions? Uh, Well, I remember the gay tripper story. Yeah. I had a vision of a perfect machine clicking away. I I could see like a weird machine like with a... Just a an axle and a like a, 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 a it was like a, a neon illuminated green machine yeah. in the air. Yeah, I had that, and I had the whole ground turn totally into moving paisleys as my hand touched it. Yeah, you know? no, I don't mean like open eye visuals, like closed. The machine would be one. I mean, like in your head, like what he's talking about. But the machine would be one. There's two different. There's open eye visuals, and that's like when you see patterns and fractals and stuff like that. And then when you're closed, like head tripping and stuff. The, that that's machine the heavy thing. Stuff the machine there. I remember very well. I had machines sometimes. I had two very large machines that kind of look like oil drills. This is like kind of peering into the base of my psyche when I was tripping. And uh, these two huge fucking machines, right? And there was a little piece of hair holding them together. Right. And I knew if that piece of hair broke, then the machines would break and it would be the worst thing in the world. And I'd be walking around a Monopoly board and I'd be very afraid to trip. And if I tripped, the, piece the, hair, of, would break. the hair would break and then the machines would, would stop break working. and the world would be over. Right, right. It's I funny. the machines were my parents. I know they were. They were my parents and I was afraid I was going to like ruin everything. You <laughs> did. <laughs> my, it's funny that we all had, we had the machine thing. Yeah. But I don't... That's like one I had of so many fucking visions. I haven't I haven't tripped in so long. Like, oh my God. It's been for, I'm, I'm banking the ayahuasca LSD thing. 10, 20 years sober. I'm going to revisit it with my sponsor. <laughs> Good luck with that. Anyway, if you want to... Well, I'm just... You know, I can't... If I talk about it too much, I'll give myself license Dude, to do it. the East Side Crackhead is waiting oh, for fuck, us. Oh, fuck. We got to do this. Yeah. Um... Write us an email. What do you think? Was this episode good? Hmm? We don't talk about that on the air anymore. Oh, we didn't do the I, iTunes review of the week. We can't do it. We, we gotta go. We're snappy. Is he? Is he ready to go? They were ready ten minutes ago. All right, let's do this. Uh, Dopey Nation, stay strong. Toodles. What do you guys say? Uh, write an email. Dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Sign up. Follow us on Instagram. Have a good night. Let your free f- let your freak flag fly. Stay strong. Toodles. Goodbye. I wanna take a walk around the world. Wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I wanna be good so bad 
want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good, so bad. Bad desire is all I ever had.